You can get your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 1, Luke 1, page 1177, in that hardback pew Bible in front of you. Well, been gone for a month, a lot of wonderful things, got to uh, celebrate 30 years of marriage to my beautiful wife, Lisa, and we got to get away together. What a blessing that was. Amen. That was wonderful. That's a rarity for me and her to get away, just the two of us, but we were able to do that. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. Got to experience uh, four Sundays in four different places, visiting uh, friends in the ministry, and just uh, it's, it's interesting when you can just come walk into a church and sit down and people don't know who you are and just, uh, you know, just pretend like I'm just there, you know, visiting to see what's going on. And uh, so that's, a, that's always a blessing. But I guess the, the main thing that I want you to know is that whenever I'm away, especially if for a sequence of weeks, whether it be on a mission trip or uh, some sabbatical time or something like that, it, the interesting thing is that, number one, uh, how much I miss being here, just being here. Uh, I, I look forward so much to, I understand those of you that are joining us online, I understand what uh, it's like for you that are away. We have people that join us online every week from uh, all over the country, even other countries, people that are deployed, people that are part of this family but disconnected in some way because of work or whatever the case may be. And, uh, and so every week their lifeline is, is the online service. And so I would just wait, uh, you know, I'd, I'd watch it. If, if I wasn't in church somewhere else, I'd just sit there and wait for it to come on or I'm waiting for the Wednesday night service to get posted online so I can listen to it. And, and then when I would listen to it, not only would I be just thoroughly and blessed, you know, blessed and encouraged, uh, just so grateful and so thankful for uh, the, the way God has just blessed us in abundance in that way. I mean, good gracious. You know, I, I, I just think, well, man, why, why do they need me? That was good. And then, uh, but I'd be struck by how the things that God is showing me, He's, show, he's showing you at the same time. Like every message after message after message. And so I just want you to know that, that as we go into this new uh, Advent series for a few weeks to celebrate Christmas together. I want you to realize that everything that God has laid on my heart is just perfectly in sequence with so many things that you've been hearing. That The point is this. God is speaking to you regardless of the mouthpiece. The message is consistently from Him. And what's astonishing to me is that when I'm disconnected and away somewhere, I could be three or four states away, it's still the consistent message of a good God. And when I'm in another church listening to uh, I, it's not that I don't enjoy it, I do enjoy it. And it is a blessing and it is encouraging, but it's different. Because it's not, it's not what God's saying here to us, to me, to you. 
to this family. And so that's just super encouraging. And so uh, you'll see this morning how God is, uh, has just been you know, working in me just like he's been working in you. And um, that's something to be super grateful for. So let's pray and thank God. Father, we thank you this morning for you. Thank you for being a speaking God. Thank you for not just saying that you love us and not just loving us from afar, but Lord, you love us intimately, personally, so relationally. We're just so intentionally. Thank you. You don't have to do anything, but you do it because you love us. And I'm so grateful, Lord. And so, God, will you speak to us today? Will you give us ears to hear that we might receive from you what we can only receive from you, Lord? Help us to lay aside all things that seek to distract us and steal away the seed that you desire to plant today in our hearts. We promise, Lord, to give you praise, glory, and all the credit for what comes from this time. Thank you. Holy Spirit, you move mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. So love is why. Love is why. That's what we're going to be talking about. Love is why. There's a lot of questions, but there's really only one answer. So you get your listening guides out and give us something to sort of set our mind around, a framework. In Christ, whenever life causes us to wonder why, the answer is love. And there's a lot of things that cause us to to ask why and to wonder why and to wonder, well, why? Why is this happening? Why is this going on? We're going to look this morning at this story in Luke chapter 1 of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this is a story about two real people in their real life, but this is also a story that relates exactly to our real lives. And here's what you're going to notice, that in this story, the name of Jesus isn't mentioned. But the story's about him, make no doubt about it. And it's just like in our lives, that there's so many places in our lives where there's times where, you know, we, so many conversations, so many situations, so many things that we we go through where the name of Jesus isn't mentioned, but it is really about him, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Even if we forget to mention him, even if we forget to to look and see, trust me, it's about him. He's working in it. He's connected to every moment, every part of his children's lives. And furthermore, everything that he does, so everything that we learn about him, everything that we, we, we see in his word revealed about him, it tells us things about him so that we can then be we can be more confident as we live our own lives and as we, as we go in and out of situations where we're wondering why this is. Let's look together in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Luke 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. So he's a priest, a division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. 
and they were both well advanced in years. So here's what we know about them so far. We were introduced to these two faithful people. He's a priest. His wife's name's Elizabeth. She is barren. They, they have no children. And so they've lived in a continual state of asking why, because this is a big problem. It's a big problem in, in first century world to not have children. See, infertility is a, is a very painful, difficult problem today. Many of you, we've walked together through those things. Maybe you're in the middle of it now. It's very, very difficult. But understand, in this time, the difficulty of being childless was magnified a hundredfold. It was, it was devastating in every way. It was devastating economically because if you didn't have children, you had nobody to help carry the load. You had nobody to care for you uh, in your old age. There was, there was no social programs. There was no uh, welfare system. There was nothing like that. So you would have been in, in, in a, a real economic situation. Then it was devastating spiritually because the common belief of all the Jews, of everybody, believed that if you didn't have children, that was God's judgment upon you. It was a result of, of sin. And so people looked down on you and you were, uh, so, so you would have terrible identity problems. And it was also devastating socially. So much so that if a man uh, married a woman and uh, time went by and she was unable to conceive and give birth to a child, that he would be expected to divorce her, to leave her, because uh, it was something that every man wanted and no man would be expected to stay in that situation. Now, that's a lot of disappointment for this couple. We live in a world with no shortage of disappointment, is it? No. But have you been faithful in your disappointment? You know, what about when you've been faithful and you, you've been doing the things that you feel like you're supposed to do, but yet around every corner there seems to be some disappointment? That, that time after time, you just can't seem to, to, to get ahead. You can't seem to, to get on a solid ground. There's always just this disappointment. I mean, maybe you're here this morning and you're disappointed because you don't have kids. And maybe that's a, a real touchy subject for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're disappointed because of the kids you have. I mean, in all seriousness, maybe, maybe your children is a, is, a, is a real barren place in your life because they, they struggle and they cause you a lot of pain. And you're disappointed in that. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're disappointed because you're not married yet. And you want to be married and you're disappointed. Maybe you're married and you're disappointed because you're married. I mean, let's don't act like that's not a possibility. I mean, maybe you're disappointed because of your job, or maybe you're disappointed because of some financial situation, or you're disappointed because your health is failing, or maybe you're disappointed because the health of somebody that you love is failing. 
mean, there's so many things to be disappointed about. And here's the thing. There's something inside of all of us that wants to believe that our faithfulness should shield us from disappointment. You know it's true. We all want to believe that our faithfulness should shield us from disappointment. And so what, when something begins to disappoint us, our, if we feel that we've been being faithful, it magnifies the effect of the disappointment. God, well, I've been doing this and doing this and doing this, and yet, why have you not intervened in this place of disappointment? See, notice the Bible says in verse 6, and they were both righteous before God. Wow! Does God say that about you? Does God say you're righteous before God? Look at what he says. Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. But they had no child. we got to be careful that we're not, we're not trying to make something true that the Bible doesn't say is true. We all want to believe that our faithfulness shields us from disappointment. And if we're not in God's word, we can convince ourselves of anything. In fact, I think what the Bible would show us is that it's our faithfulness that allows us to remain in our disappointment or under our disappointment. See, I want you to think about this couple. First of all, they didn't get a divorce. Now, what we're going to find out here is that we're talking about a, a, a good 70 years of staying married with no children. They didn't get a divorce. Zachariah could have took, taken the easy way out. He could, have, he could have just walked away. What else didn't they do? You know what they didn't do? They didn't commit adultery to solve their problem. They didn't take a shortcut like other people in the Bible did. They didn't do that. Now remember, Zacharias, he's a priest. Which means his job would have put him in a position where day in and day out, he watched God answer other people's prayers. And he didn't quit. And he didn't walk away. Hmm. It's a dangerous thing to confuse the silence of God for the absence of God. It's dangerous. And listen, if we're not careful, so many of us do this. It's so important to see. So many things were... We're working against this couple. It would have been so easy to just throw your hands up. Verse 8, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense so there he is he's in his lot has come up so he's the priest to go in and so he's in the temple in the presence of the lord and then an angel of the lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense and when Zacharias saw him he was troubled and fear fell upon him now we don't we don't need to get all into this we're over these weeks, almost every, thing, every single time we uh, 
uh, talk about love is why there's going to be an angel in the story and every single time an angel shows up somebody freaks out and the angel always says don't be afraid just keep in mind the dumb things that people say about angels all the time remember it's it's not just you know important things that we convince ourselves of if we don't read the bible it's dumb things you know what i mean like oh it was an angel it was not an angel Unless you screamed out in fear and fell down on the ground or wet your pants or went running away, it's not an angel. See, if every time someone sees you, the first thing you have to say is, don't be afraid, what does that tell you about yourself? You're scary. That's what it tells you. I mean, that's just common sense. So he... Fear fell upon him, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. I want you to underline your prayer is heard. Your prayer is heard. Well, what prayer is heard? What do you mean my prayer is heard? So I was, I was thinking, well, wait a minute. What prayers? Recent or I mean, a prayer I just recently prayed? No. Mm-mm. Not recent prayers. We know from the rest of the story, these aren't recent prayers. These are prayers prayed long ago over a long... These were, these were prayers that were prayed all through his 20s, all through his 30s. They probably started whittling down in his 40s, about 50. They started getting almost non-existent. Probably didn't pray at all about the prayers that the angel's talking about maybe in the last couple of decades. See, they should have been grandparents by now. You understand? So these, these aren't new prayers. These are, these are old prayers. And here's what I want you to see is that when our prayerfulness depends on our view of our circumstances, then we don't understand God. See, I don't know what you're praying about or not praying about. I don't know what your, I don't know what your disappointments are, and I don't, I don't know where you are on the pendulum of disappointment. But here, here's what I do know. Is that the intensity or the level or the frequency of your prayerfulness should never be dependent on your view of your circumstances. Because you'll always be wrong. Always. I want you to notice what happens. In the, now look at, look at how this goes. Your wife Elizabeth, here's what the angel says. Your wife Elizabeth. Now, if you want to, you should under, underline everywhere in your Bible in this passage where the word will, W-I-L-L is. Look, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom, uh, to the wisdom of the just and to make ready and prepare the people prepared for the Lord. That's pretty, that's pretty confident. 
Not he might or he could, but he will. In verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, Well, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Now, I think it's very important to understand that this conversation between Zacharias and the angel happens uh, in the absence of his wife Elizabeth. I wonder if Elizabeth was there, if he would have said this differently. You know, it's kind of crazy. He's like, I'm old, but my wife is ancient. I mean, I... I, wanted, I looked at this phrase in the Greek, well advanced in years. It literally means when she sneezes, dust comes out. I mean, it's a strong, it's a strong statement that no husband would say in front of his wife. But, you know, I'm, I mean, he's probably a little freaked out because there you know from the he's talking to an angel the whole thing is kind of crazy so all right so he says well well now how shall i know this now i want you to understand something he, he's he believes in god we can we can be assured of that by what he's doing and where he is but he's having trouble wrapping his head around believing that God's going to work in this situation and do this. And, and, and the danger here is confusing doubting with disbelieving God. See, those are two different things. It, doubt's not a bad thing. Doubt's a good thing. Doubt's a normal thing. We all doubt, and doubt's part of the process, and God works mightily in our doubt. And so doubt's not a, the the Doubt's not a problem. Disbelief is a problem. Okay? So this is doubt, not disbelief. Remember, because doubt, in order to take, in order to take a step of faith, you have to be standing on a rock of doubt. You think about that. If you're not standing in doubt, you can't step in faith. Because it doesn't take any faith where there's no doubt. Right? So doubt's not bad. So he's doubting. Doubt's part of God's process. Remember, in Christ, whenever life causes us to wonder why, the answer is always love. That's what I'm, I'm saying here. So look at verse 19. The angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Now here's my question. What glad tidings? In other words, good news. What is the good news? Is the good news what he just said about all the things that God will do and his wife is going to have a baby? Yeah. But is that all the good news? No. The good news is also and equally what he's about to say. What he said before is good news, but what he's about to say is equally good. What is he about to say? Look at verse 20. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which were fulfilled, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias. Now remember, he's in the temple and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, 
He could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So that's good news? That's equally good? Yeah, it is. Now listen, here's what I want you to see. It's very important. This is not punishment. See, I think we'll, we read this story so oftentimes and we miss we miss what God's really saying here. This is not punishment. God's not punishing Zacharias. He's disciplining him. That's what he's doing. See, the, the word discipline and the word disciple, they come from the same root. They come from the same place. God's discipling him. Look, I want to I show you. You know these verses. Hebrews chapter 12. Quoting Proverbs 3, the writer of Hebrews says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, which is exactly what just happened. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he scourges, even the sons whom he receives. Then the Bible goes on and says, If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. The presence of God's discipline is validation of adoption, according to the Word of God. Look, furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of the Spirit and live... For they indeed in a few days chastened us as it seemed best to them, but he for our profit, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. We know Zacharias is God's son. And the Bible makes clear that chastening and discipline is not punishment, that those are different things. This isn't punishment. This is good news. He just doesn't know it yet. You see, if you are a child of God here this morning, I want you to understand something. The pain that you're going through right now is not some form of spiritual payback. It's not penance. It's not karma. It's not punishment. Yes, sin has consequences. Of course it does. But those consequences in the life of God's children are never meant as punishment. That's how we deal with each other. That's not how God deals with us. You see, it has to be this way. So oftentimes we're deceived about this. Listen, you know this beyond a shadow of a doubt because on the cross, Jesus bore all the punishment for your sin. So how is God punishing you? You see, if you tell me God's punishing you, then my response to you is, what's he punishing you for? And what are you going to say? And I'm going to say, well, then you're lost. That's the only way that can work, because you're not double punished. See, the reason we can know that God's not punishing us is that God's already punished our substitute. He already did that. When Jesus said it is finished, what do you think he meant? But you know what we do? We walk around self-condemned, believing 
what the enemy puts in our head, that what we're going through in our disappointment is the punishment of God. And the Bible says, no, it isn't. That's why the heart's so deceitful. So when you fail and I fail, and when it feels like God's removed himself from our lives, it's not what goes around comes around. It's a God who never stops discipling his children. That's what it is. And why does he do that? So that we can experience more of him. See, love is why. But we have, to, we have to get through the story to see that. So we, I can see things and you can see things that Zechariah can't see. Look, verse 23, back to Luke 1. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. So he's been away, consecrated for his service to the Lord. Now that's completed, he goes back home. Now understand something. He completed it. He didn't freak out. He didn't, he didn't go to his boss and say, hey, I need some time off. I can't, I can't handle this thing. I just had a conversation with an angel. or not, You know what I'm saying? He, he completed what he had set out to do. And I think the point here is that whenever you don't know what to do, be faithful. That's what you do. You be faithful. See, when you're wondering, well, why? why? What, what, what's going on? I don't understand this. I don't Remember, he's mute. I mean, the Bible hasn't told us this yet, but he can't speak or hear. Either one. We'll see this in a minute. Either one. So, he remained in that state, unable to speak, unable to hear. But he remained faithful. But, but that's not the end of the story. You see, because, listen to me, faithfulness in and of itself is not the ultimate goal of God in our lives. I really think this is where you need to really press into what I'm saying. Is faithfulness important? Absolutely. Should it always be our goal? Yes. But in and of itself... Come on, Pharisees. In and of itself, it's not the ultimate goal of God in our lives. How do I know that? Because Zacharias was faithful. He did everything. All the commandments, all the ordinances. The Bible said that him and his wife were blameless. How you doing in the blameless category? And look at what he's going through. Proves the point. Faithfulness is always the right answer. But it's not the ultimate goal. See, there's something more going on. Zacharias has been faithful, but there's something else missing from his life. Because God is still discipling him. Look at verse 24. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach 
among people. Now you get a, now you get a, a picture into her disappointment and how this has affected her so deeply for so long. Skip down to verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came. It was time for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and her relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and they they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother said, no, he shall be called John. But they said to her, well, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father. You see, why did they make signs to his father? If, they, if he could hear, they would have just told him. But he can't hear, so they make signs to him. What he would have called him. So he can't speak, he can't hear. Does this seem harsh to you? All this time. For nine months, he's laying there in silence, unable to speak, having to write messages back and forth. I mean... Does this remind you of other stories in the Bible? You know, Abraham was in this situation, and when God told him that he and Sarah would have a child, they laughed at God, and he didn't go deaf and mute. So what's going on here? This is what God wants us to see, that Zach followed all the rules, but he had no joy in the promises of God. This isn't God punishing Zacharias. This is God wanting more for him. This is God rewarding him. This is God working in him. This is God growing him. See, this is what we have to realize, that God didn't send his son to die. Christmas isn't the celebration of God sending his son so that we could have a bunch of good rule followers. That's not the goal. Think about it. Christmas is the celebration of God sending His Son in the fullness of time. And when you read the Christmas story, what strikes us every time is the darkness of the world in which God entered into, right? The specific time and moment in history that God sent His Son and how dark it was. But but what was it about that time? Don't you find it interesting that in all of history, God could have chosen any time to send his son, but he sent his son into this dark time. But what we fail to notice is, is that in all of human history, in all of religious history, there was never a point where people were more faithful than when Jesus was born. Hello? Did you hear what I just said? There's never been a time You've never seen a person who could even hold a candle to a Pharisee in obedience to rules. It was the most obedient time that's ever been. See, we go, oh, Jesus came into a dark world. Well, what made it so dark? 
There was a lot of rule following going on. That's what made it so dark. See verse 63? They said, they, they hand him a writing tablet, and he writes, his name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke praising God. So what has God done? What has God done to this faithful priest and his faithful wife who kept all the ordinances, all the commandments, who were blameless in the sight of God, who who had faced decades of disappointment and through it all remained faithful and God brings them good news good news that they're going to have a son and good news that for nine months Zacharias you're going to be deaf and mute see God's will for each of our lives is that we would find joy in our faithfulness to Him. And you know what? God is utterly, relentlessly devoted to His will. Because He loves us. You see, Zacharias can't hear and he can't speak. But he's not blind. Isn't that interesting? He could see. He could see. So let's think for a moment as we wrap this up. What has he seen for the last nine months? He can't, he can't talk and he can't hear, but he can see. And so for nine months, what has he seen? Here's what he's seen. For nine months, he's seen his old dusty wife. With a growing belly. You know what he's seen? He's seen a lady he's been married to for 70 years. Smile like she's never smiled before. He's watched her light up. He's watched her just rejoice in every little moment. Every time she had to get out a new pair of big spandex pants she couldn't wait to show him he watched her get the nursery ready and stack up the diapers and get the bottles out and all the things they needed he couldn't say anything he couldn't hear anything but he could see it See, God wasn't interested in his interpretation of what was going on. He didn't want him saying anything or messing up. He just wanted him to sit there quietly and watch. And watch. And that began to work in his heart. And God wanted to move Zechariah from doing things for God to experiencing joy in him. See, see, is doing things for God good? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
but enjoying him is better. See, this is what we want to do. We want to break the process. Come on now, be honest. There, there's some of you in the room, and you know why? You're, you're disappointed, and the reason you're not faithful to God in your disappointment is because you, you're not experiencing the fullness of God. And you say, well, I would, I, if I experienced the fullness of God, then I would, I would be faithful to God. It doesn't work like that. See, you're, you can't make up the order in which things happen. If you say, if I experience the fullness of God, I'll be faithful to God, you'll never experience the fullness of God. Never. Never. See, this is how it works. You could put another, you could say doubt leads to faith, faith leads to faithfulness, and faithfulness leads to fullness. That's how it works. The only way to get to fullness is through faithfulness. But so many people won't be faithful because they're not experiencing fullness. And here's the thing. Well, forget it. I don't need to explain this. Let me quote verbatim, verbatim, from what God spoke to you through Ezra. There is an order. I almost crashed my truck when I heard this. There is an order in the kingdom of God. And you can't do it in your own way. It is only on God's time and in God's way. That's what God said to you while God was saying this to me. See, not because you always, look, look, you, you, it's not because you always do the right things. It's not because you always say the right things. Because the mercy of God is so great that when we see it, when we experience it, for nine months he watched and he, and he just had to meditate on what he was seeing. God did his perfect work in him through his disappointment. See, if you're, not, if you're confused about what I mean by fullness, well, here you go. In fullness, the motivation for all we do is from the joy created by what he's done. See, that's what happened in Zacharias' life. He just went through a nine-month degroup with God. See, now you see why I'm saying in Christ, whenever we're, life causes us to wonder why, the answer is always love. It's love. That's why God did all this. It's love. It's love. So I don't know where your place of barrenness is this morning. I don't know what you're disappointed about. I don't know what it is that you've prayed about and prayed about and prayed about and even become discouraged and you're praying about it. And I understand that. But I think Zacharias' life has something to say to my life and to your life this morning. And I think, I think if we would just open our hearts and hear what God has to say. He has something to say to you this morning. He's talking to you about something. He's talking to me about something. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to stay seated.
Let's all bow our heads, every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's bow our heads right where we are. Now, maybe you're here this morning and there's a place of barrenness in your life. There's a source of discouragement. There's a, you're wondering why, God, why. There's, there's pain, there's unanswered questions. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for you to be faithful to God in the midst of your questions. And I want you to acknowledge to God. Maybe what you've told Him before, but you haven't told Him recently. Because you've confused the silence of God for the absence of God. He knows that what you long to hear is what Zechariah heard from the angel. The Lord heard your prayers. So I want to pray for your place of barrenness. But I want you to acknowledge that there is a place. So this is what nobody's looking. It's just you. Just raise your hand and just acknowledge to God, I got a place of barrenness in my life. Because you're just acknowledging that. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I just have a place of barrenness. I got questions. I'm struggling. God, thank you for these hands in the air. This is, this is the declaration, Lord, of places that if we're, if we're honest, we live in a world filled with disappointment.